Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we aim to inspire you, to connect you with like-minded colleagues, to innovate and push you out of your comfort zone, to create robust debate, to encourage lifelong learning, and to empower you to create more impact as a dietitian. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where you're listening to this. I'm recording from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Welcome to our Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm Jane Winter from Dietitian Connection, and I'm an accredited practicing dietitian. Now, at Dietitian Connection, we love hearing from dietitians who are doing different things or treading different paths. And my guest today is really putting his own spin on private practice. John O'Steadman is Principal Dietitian and Head Honcho at Bite Me Nutrition, a company that's determined to help more people make food work for them, not against them. John O uses social media to get his nutrition messages out there and educate um, his audience and has over 40,000 followers on Instagram. After graduating from University of Queensland mid-2018, Jono worked as a contracted private practice dietitian at a gym for 12 months and then a dietetic um, private practice until COVID hit, at which point he lost his job. He started the Gaiatitian, and I'm really glad you changed your name to Bite Me Nutrition, Jono, because Gaiatitian has a tricky ring to it. Um, so bad. <laughs> in September 2021, <laughs> as he felt a better reflected the goals of his business. So welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, Jono, and we really appreciate you taking the time to chat to us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, so many things that I'd like to talk to you about, um, private practice, social media, sports nutrition, but I am going to start with just something a bit random. Sorry, listeners. Do you mm-hmm. have any pets or children, Jono? I do. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have two small children uh, and a Labrador. So, my son is two, my daughter is five, um, and I think my Labrador is eight. Okay. Seven, so, uh, somewhere in that ballpark. Peak parenting time. Um, Jono, so uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty full on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I say this after my son woke up on the hour from like three till, till five or two till five this morning. Okay, so, so I apologize for my any, gravelly just, voice. Yeah. And quite snoring in the background. I'll just give you a prod. Um, Thanks. <laughs> so you're obviously a credit practicing dietitian. Um, you came to this after a different career. What sort of led you to becoming a dietitian in the first place? Um, so I have always loved food, was very lucky to grow up in a household that was always, you know, cooking. We even had a little orchard out the back where we grow a couple of little bits and pieces. And so, um, food, the love of food and and cooking was always a big part of my life, even though I went off and did other things after high school. Um, those didn't work out. I was becoming quite a my wife said that if you don't go and study something else or do another degree, no one's going to want to spend time with you, uh, which was fair. Uh, so <laughs> she wasn't my wife at the time. I think she was just waiting to see if I was going to um, stop being a grumpy uh, 21-year-old or however old I was. Um, and so it just sort of made sense. I'd always had a love of science as well. Up until halfway through year 12, I was destined or decided to do medicine. Um, thankfully got talked out of that, but it did mean that I'd done biology, chemistry and, and physics and things at school. And so 
when thinking about what to do next, the food plus science, you know, dietetics just made sense. And you were saying earlier that um, as is a reasonably common thing that you decided pretty quickly that a hospital sort of setting wasn't your <laughs> desired um, endpoint yeah. as a dietitian. So on graduating, can you tell us a little bit about your path from first job, how that looked? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, it was mostly just because after the first hour or two of my hospital placement, I knew I wasn't smart enough to be a hospital dietitian. Uh, the, you know, just the extra level of, of detail and rigor um, is intense. So hats off to my hospital dietitian colleagues. I'm glad you're doing it so I don't have to. Um, yeah, so uh, towards the end, before I graduated, as we all get told, I'd started applying for jobs um, and was fortunate enough to find there was a gym in Brisbane that wanted to sort of expand their offering a little bit and bring on some allied health professionals. So I started there part-time um, as a dietitian. Um, after about nine to 12 months there, I just felt a bit uncomfortable being the only dietitian, new graduate, um, didn't really have you know anyone to check in with, see if I was doing okay. Um, I hadn't started with my mentor at that time because I'd lined her up, but she was busy and she said, "Can we start?" You know, at this date. Um, and so once I started with her, I kind of mentioned to her, I, "I don't know if I should remain here because I'm, you know, feeling not unsupported from the gym. They just there wasn't you know." anyone who could support me nutritionally, mm. which is fine. Um, and she mentioned that she was actually looking at bringing someone on. So just kind of made sense to, to move on from there. So that was a private practice focused primarily on sports nutrition, but just like with every private practice, you sort of see whoever comes through the door. <laughs> so those, for those um, first 12 months, you know, it's a steep learning curve, isn't it? To come out of university oh, and suddenly yeah. be thrown into one-on-one -on -one consultations with potentially conditions that you haven't actually dealt with before or, you know, a whole different demographic of people. How did you kind of work through to develop your skills in the absence of a mentor or a support team around you? How did you approach that? Um, a lot of smiling and telling clients that, <laughs> yep, I can help with that. I'll get that to you. I'll get that reference. I'll get that um, resource together. Absolutely. And then the second they left, frantically, you know, trawling journals, trawling, um, you know, examine.com, you know, all of these, mm -hmm. all of the resources, all of the references and, and essentially um, learning on, on the job, right? And I think in a way, that's a good way to do it. Um, just sitting there reading about conditions when you don't actually have that person to apply those to is a bit, uh, I don't think that's the most effective way. So I think it was just a combination of, well, sorry, not a combination. It was primarily just telling, some, faking it until I, I made it. <laughs> and what about the, the counselling side of it? Because if I reflect back to my years as a very young dietitian and not thinking at the time how young I was, but looking back, it's like, whoa. <laughs> and yeah. some of the counselling sessions, which I think were probably terrible, like just so non-client focused, so me telling them, like, how did you mm. find your development going or manage that on your own? I uh, probably probably didn't for the <laughs> for the Same. first 12 to uh yeah you know um constantly reflecting on on um yeah I, look i do always try and be better at everything that i do you know and so i i'm good at reflecting on 
what I've done. So at the end of each week, at the end of each day, I had sort of a 90 minute drive <laughs> to that right. place. So that was 90 minutes to reflect on. Um, you know, I often wouldn't like, I wouldn't listen to a podcast or anything. I'd sort of think about the clients I'd seen, the way that I dealt with it, what could I have done better? And so I think it was a lot of self-reflection, which was helpful to a point, of course, though, that ex- you need that external third party to give you extra yeah. pointers as well. Um, I think it helped being a little bit um, older gra- when I graduated as well. You know, life experience is pretty tough to uh, to be in in private practice dietetics because you're meeting people where they're at in their lives. Um, so yeah, and I think you can't just you can't just conjure up life experience, no. can you? <laughs> like you, you have hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah, so, so then you went in and and were working with someone else. So then yeah, how did that go? How did you find that setting of a private practice? Yeah, it was it was good. You you have a few more of the um, hallway meetings or the you know chatting through things over lunch, um, which was helpful, um, and so that probably developed the. I don't think my I think counselling style and counselling skills honestly have been um, a bit of uh, further learning and then volume of yes. clients. Um, you know, you can't be seeing fifty clients a week for for five years um if you you're going to get better <laughs> you can't help you can't help but not get better in, in that sort of level and so um i don't yeah I, I don't recall too many big light bulb moments with mentoring when it comes to um mm. uh counseling it's probably more just the practice volume yeah. <laughs> practice <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then what sort of inspired you to go out and set up your own practice <laughs> um inspiration is a interesting look i my contract i lost my contract um at the beginning of covid um wow. so which is a story i don't know if i can legally talk about so i won't mm. but basically um peak you know the first wave back in may 2020 essentially when we were kind of yes all n- none of us knew what was going to go yeah. you know what was going to happen um and so that happened i sort of had my four weeks i get, was given my four weeks notice and so had essentially four weeks to um, come up with a business, a brand, a website. Um, two days prior to finding out that my contract was finishing, I found out we were um, pregnant with my son, uh, our second child as well. So that's good. That's what, nothing yeah. puts the fire under you like uh, <laughs> losing your job and finding out you've got another mouth to feed. Um, it's more like so, necessity than inspiration. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was yeah, the mother of invention, right? And um, yeah. my wife was unfortunately pretty sick for that pregnancy as well. So I was very lucky to have, uh, you know, we had quite a bit of babysitting from uh, parents yep. while she'd be in bed they'd have the kid mm. uh, the one kid at that time and i'd be in my you know in my office looking after learning the how to build a website yeah, yeah looking after the labrador <laughs> she was useless but that's all right uh, <laughs> um so it was very much just a i gotta do something so i guess i'll do this um and the dietitian was born um and as we've i question it was a questionable name um great for seo uh but <laughs> terrible yeah. for everything else and so um and very singular that was probably the main thing you know um and so when was it late 2021 so probably about 14 to 16 months after as operating as the dietitian um rebranded which is a, a journey in and of itself um but to to bite me nutrition so i'm interested the dietitian was that was it because it was a point of difference being male. Um, I think it was just 
I, I just needed a name. I had no other good names. <laughs> um, someone else had called me the dietitian back at the gym, you know, as a bit right. of a joke. Because, you know, yeah, there, there is definitely a low, um, no, there's a high proportion of, mm. of females in the dietetics industry. But um, a big thing that was happening was was clients going, so do you just see see guys? Oh. I was like, no, no, I'm the dietitian. <laughs> yeah. I see everyone. And so that was that was probably one of the first big red flags of, Oh, yes. this is this is not Branding's a long term business. Not quite worked. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. So so you changed it to bite me, which must have come from some kind of idea or philosophy. <laughs> where where did it come yeah, from? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was my wife's uh idea. I think bite me nutrition has been around for a while. Oddly, it was around before the dietitian. I don't know why I didn't think of it when I um yeah, but anyway, here we are. Uh, I think it's a bit tongue in cheek. Um, it's a bit, um, you know, which is is sort of how I like to approach nutrition. I think we can be a little bit. Um, we're, we're getting so much better as a profession, but you know, I think we did suffer in the past of being a little bit uh, removed or a bit too scientific, which is tricky because you don't want to <laughs> not be scientific. <laughs> and I think I but, went to a dietitians association conference many many years ago. And whoever the keynote speaker was a dietitian, and she got up at that point and said, "We need to try and overcome this image of being the agents of deprivation." <laughs> that is exactly yeah. it. <laughs> That's a great, yeah, yeah, ex exactly. I think that, and even just, um, you know, seeing what other nutrition—I don't even know if professionals is the right mm. word. That's a very polite way of, you know, th there's a lot yes. of noise in our space, but these people are doing wonderful branding and wonderful marketing and wonderful communications. And so we can get grumpy about that all we want, but if we're not trying to at least match them on that front, plus the science and the education that we've got, we can't really blame the layperson for going with the person that's shiny or with the shiny mm -hmm. branding or with the flashy product, right? Because, um, that's what's, that's, what's always going to happen. So I think rather than trying to just complain about that person, trying to match them on that front but then the level of care and service and evidence <laughs> we're yeah. providing is, is is a higher standard so your business model now is your same floor is um 100 telehealth it's all online now yeah yeah have... recent it was a recent move no go on Sorry, yeah. um yeah it was a recent uh, since COVID. like since i started the first four or five months was purely online, but that's sort of because everyone was. Um, and then once we were able to start seeing people in, in, in person again, sort of had a, was always a mixed model. And I don't think I ever went above 50 to 60% face-to-face from that point. It was always quite telehealth driven. Um, and then it was over that, over sort of particularly 2021, 22, um, the, the percentages of telehealth just crept up and up and up until it really just it just didn't make sense for me to keep doing face to face mm. for me. Um, you know, I'd spend 90 minutes in the car each day, you know, overheads, all of those sorts of things. Um, and so, you know, 90 minutes, four days a week, that's a lot of extra yeah. clients that I could be helping. So um, it just, it almost happened to me. I'd like to say it was a strategic business move. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, but it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's your um, primary referral base or is it self referral? Uh, it's a combination of, uh, I'd say, word of mouth, social media, professional referrers. So that's probably, and professional referrers being predominantly uh, PT and other allied health. Right, Those are okay. kind of the, 
yeah so lots of lots of physios exercise physio, like musculoskeletal professionals mm-hmm. um predominantly so um that's it's about uh 40 30 30 so 40% social media 30 30 of the other two you know based on and, the reporting <laughs> and yeah and you have um a sense of is there a prevalence of a certain type of reason for presentation to you I'd say weight management is still first and foremost, um, and then uh, gut health is probably second. Yeah, um, and yeah, in terms, of, yeah, I, predominantly IBS, yeah. um, and then some more, you know, um, IBD and, and those sorts of conditions. But um, more, more IBS, weight management, and then um, sports, sports performance, not necessarily high performance, but um, you know, just your quite dedicated gym goer who just wants to be seeing more results or feels like they're not fueling their training effectively or they're not recovering effectively, you know, and just helping those people out um, with some ways that they can still, you know, work full time, have a family, but still yeah. train four to six times per week and, and get results. Yeah. And the, the weight management, which, you know, is often the prevailing reason for presentation. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you have a particular philosophy or approach to weight management um or is it just like whatever the suits the client or because yeah, it can be quite polarizing I, the idea uh, the concept of weight management definitely um i think can i hide behind client-centered care uh <laughs> no but it but it is right I, I would say that um i think the one thing that stuck with me from um the uh, like I, I certainly would not say that i'm a a haste Mm-hmm. A health at every size yep. um, provider. That doesn't mean I disagree with that at all. Um, you know, I, I kind of prefer to pick, you know, yes. and learn from all of the different models. But one thing I've really uh, pulled from that model is, I guess, almost a screening process of, you know, just because someone wants to lose body fat doesn't mean that they should yes. now. Or like maybe now is not the time. Maybe it's never the time. Or maybe dietetics, like maybe nutrition, isn't the sole answer. Maybe we need to look at you know pharmacological, surgical, you know, uh, all of those sorts of, of things. So I would say that that like I try to be as client centered as possible, and I think that it's hard to be client centered if you only I'm gonna offend people, but you know if you only do yes. one style of intervention, um, you're either going to be turning a lot of people away, which is fine. Or you're going to be sort of, I guess, kind of driving someone towards an intervention, which maybe um, isn't. Yeah, and I guess that's the decision suitable. you make as a practitioner, isn't it? If you do are dedicated to a totally. particular approach, then you need to understand that the clients that you're seeing may or may not want to take up that approach, and so you might be limiting it. But that's your choice to do that if that's what you prefer. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm interested in the social media side of your i call it your business but even if it's not specifically but it is um yeah. no it's under your name isn't it? it's not actually bite me nutrition instagram we've it's got both Jonas- going oh, we've got both you? going okay. now yeah yeah but the so the, your, the your bigger personal account one is, is, is my own yeah so your personal one's got over forty thousand followers something like that which is mm. which is a lot and you know you graduate i don't know how long they've had it going there but let's <laughs> say Three, four years? Would it be that long? Uh, no, I started it during uh, uni. So I started okay, so it uh, five years five, five years or so ago, I think. Yeah. Um, I, think it was, I think it was 2018. It was around about then. So it's probably been close to five years. Yeah. And did you have an idea at that time of what you wanted to put on there? Like why you wanted to do it? 
No, because I have a friend who's in social media marketing and she nagged me for about two years uh, <laughs> to get on social media because you've got to get on social media. And I finally relented. Um, and so it that was more the that was the trigger, I guess, was just, oh, I suppose I should. Mm. Um, and then I enjoy, I'm not super visually creative. Fortunately, my wife is, so I just get her to do a lot of things for me. Um, but I quite like- Your wife is a, a godsend. Like she, she's given I'm, you your career. I'm she's given a name the business. <laughs> she's social media. She's creative. It it was a thousand percent. I would like vitamin nutrition would not exist without it. Absolutely <laughs> not. Like she, she financed it at the beginning, you know, with while I studied. Um, so and yeah, put yeah, up and with you studying for five years or four and a half years, or which whatever. is no mean feat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, like I mentioned, during my bachelor's, we got married, and during my master's, we had our first child. So it, it was wasn't smooth smooth sailing by any stretch. But uh, no, she, yeah, she's been integral to the, to the whole process. Yeah, so and, I'm interviewing um, the wrong so, person. Yeah, if you want branding, go check. <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway, um, good. So she's creative. The, okay, so, so she helps you yeah, with the yeah. design, so, like templates and and things. And then, but um, the written word has always been. I've always really enjoyed reading and um, you know, creating from that perspective. And I think that's. I've been fortunate enough to that gels really well with Instagram. You know, with some mm. the way you can communicate information. Trying to what's the edutain? <laughs> yeah. Um, that, so uh, that has. I think. I think. Instagram, I've been fortunate in that it has just matched my skill set pretty effectively. It's why I'm not on Twitter, right? Because I'm not good at 140 character pithy, you know, sentences. Um, you know, it's why I'm not really on TikTok, mostly because I'm too old and it scares me, but also just because <laughs> the I can't keep up with video trends, you know, whereas um, I think I enjoy speaking i enjoy talking to camera i enjoy video production i enjoy the written word and instagram is just kind of this nice convenient uh, melding of all of those things and are there pitfalls associated with it uh it's not great for your mental health if you're not careful <laughs> because <laughs> um which yeah just you get um attacked you get you know and especially if you are if you want to kind of push back on myths or pull apart, you know, you're going to get people that feel attacked by that. Um, and people typically aren't very good at attacking ideas. They like to attack the person. And so there's definitely, um, it's not it, like, I know I kind of laughed about it in the last probably 12 to 18 months. I have reached a point, fortunately, where like that stuff doesn't bother me anymore. Um, but it was a, it's probably two years of intentional effort of, of like, I would have, I'd just be flat for three days and my wife, here she is again, would be like, mm. like, what's like, what's up? And it would be, I'd feel silly because I'd be like, oh, like someone sent me a mean message on social media. But it, you know, if you get enough of them, it absolutely can, can hurt. Well, yeah. And I think for any younger dietitians who are looking to build that profile on social media, I guess it's something that they have to be aware of from the outset. hundred percent. If they are going to yeah. actually voice an opinion on something, and I guess you don't necessarily need to do that, but if that's what you want to do, I guess you have to be ready for it. And is there any way to arm yourself against it? Um, look, I will also fully acknowledge that as a male, I, I'm, I'm confident that I receive less of it because I'm sure that a male were just that hot, you know, you, you hear mm. about the messages that, that uh, female practitioners get and I haven't received anything like that. So that, oh, that would be another thing. It, it could potentially be even, even worse for, for them. Um, 
what I have worked on is if it is not someone I care about, <laughs> if it's not family, friend or client, I don't care. Like your opinion is not important to me, you know? Yeah. And I, I look a big part of that is age as well. Just as you yeah. get older, you stop. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, you don't care if, if they're not important to you, then I don't say what they want, you know? And, I, but again, it's easy for me to just say that. And then it was just constantly putting that into practice is a big one. Um, being very specific with when you're in on Instagram, because I can't count the amount of times I've read a horrible comment or message at 9.30, just as I'm getting into bed, which yeah. is just stupid, right? That was my fault. I should not have been doing that at that time, but being very clear cut around when and when you get on and when you don't, that's really it because you can't stop them. Right. It's going to happen. Like obviously you can block them as they pop up. But yeah. In terms yeah. of the, the the positives of, of something like Instagram, <laughs> um, you know, are there certain types of posts that you really get a lot of interaction with or a lot of positive, you know, things that work really well as opposed to things that you've gone and you think that's brilliant and oh, no one's engaged with that at all. That's it. The posts I don't care about do really well and the posts yeah. that I'm really proud of kind of flounder almost to a T, um, which I learned pretty early on. Don't game, don't try and game the system. Uh, I think it's if you are consistently putting out stuff that you enjoy stuff that you like um i'm not too proud to admit that oh that's no, probably uh it might sound arrogant if i'm reading through a caption of my own and i go to nose laugh or two from myself <laughs> then i'll post it right <laughs> which is so lame but you know you've got to like what you what you're doing yeah. is. and you know I, I think that has meant that i can keep doing it it's also just inadvertently attracted the types of clients that I'm going to resonate with a bit more because they, you know, um, yeah. so, you know, you want to, people talk about niching and it's not really something I've specifically focused on, but I'm, I have certainly have a, a style of client that is going to resonate with the sort of content that I'm putting out there. So, um, but yeah, I would say that in terms of the content that's doing well, uh, you can't pick it. And so trying to, or you'll pick it until they change the algorithm, which could be tomorrow, you know? Um, and so the one thing I would say is you got to get your face on there. Um, like literally to, you don't your have, face, your face with, yeah. if, if I go on your Instagram profile in the last nine posts, like that first thing I see, if I can't see your face, like, and it, I'm sure we've all done it. Like, oh, who's this person? Scroll, scroll, mm. salad, salad, salads. Okay, I'm out, you know. Um, and so even if you're not comfortable on camera, that's perfectly fine. Get yourself, get a photo of yourself walking your dog, get a photo of yourself in the kitchen, get a photo of yourself at the gym. But like, ultimately, someone wants to connect with a human being. So um, that would be the, probably the one tip is, well, a few tips, write stuff that you enjoy, keep writing stuff that you enjoy ad nauseum uh, and get your face on there. And is the intent of being on Instagram um, largely, uh, obviously you enjoy, you've said that, but to drive business, to get exposure, to, to build your practice? Yeah. Look, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a part of it. Of course it is. Um, and it's a, it's a great referral stream. Um, and it's, like I said, it's typically people who resonate and align with what what we do. So, you know, you, you've got all that benefit from it. Um, I, 
can't remember the last time I posted a call to action. I know you're supposed to do them in every second post or and uh, twice a week in your stories and all of these yes. sorts of things. So in terms of uh, actually using Instagram as a business, I'm pretty bad at it. Um, but that's almost intentional because I'm conscious of if I start doing that, I won't enjoy it anymore. Yeah. So it's it's been, it is first and foremost, it is a labor of love. But absolutely, of course, you know, the referral stream and the clients that it generates is is wonderful as well. So the student dietitians that might be listening to this uh, and they're just starting to get some Instagram, you know, what's a reasonable time frame to see? You know, you've got 40,000 <laughs> followers. That's a lot of followers. But as yeah. you said, it's probably been five It's five years. years. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's... It's also tricky now because even it's like a year or two, like 2015, I think it was to 2017 or 2018, you could really blow up. Uh, whereas not too many people, quote unquote, blow up on, on Instagram numbers, anymore. It's quite, yeah, 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 it's, it's, it's quite a steady churn. Right. Um, you know, you'll have, you get someone, a big post will get, will go well, or a big account will share a post and you might get a bit of a spike, but generally it's a, slowly you know ticking away um so yeah i i often have people you know a bit flat about their instagram engagement or their numbers and things like that and so um i've been doing it for five years and i've posted over a thousand posts so mm. i a little bit tongue-in-cheek often say to them like well how many posts have you got oh like a hundred it's like cool like let's chat when you've you 10 times that you know what i mean yeah, so yeah um th there is a level of You've got to do the volume, you know, and I think uh, I find it somewhat funny, particularly people working in weight management or health or health behavior change and things like that. The way that we will discuss with a client about, you know, when was the last time you gave a client a quick fix? Probably never. <laughs> and yet we turn to Instagram and I want a quick fix. It's sort of all those things you're telling your clients about. We're playing the long game. We're building behavior change. We're growing this over time. All of that stuff applies to social media as well, unfortunately. And a lot of your posts uh, seem to be in part about myth busting, or just cutting down or yep. answering yeah. FAQs. So have they, they've come mm. from your lived experience of dealing with clients and getting those questions or those fads or myths presented to you <laughs> over and over again. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, and it's a combination of it. It's, it works well. I don't have to think too hard about ideas. They get, you know, I've got a nice pool of ideas available. And typically if multiple clients are asking that question or multiple people are asking the question via, you know, Instagram, what, you know, they say if one person sends a review, there's a thousand people that think the same thing. And so um, the it just allows me to create content that is relevant and that people are actually going to be interested in. So, um so it's a nice little symbiotic relationship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess we we kind of need to wrap this up so you can actually go and see your clients. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, do you have any nutrition sort of gurus or mentors that uh, that you look at and think, wow, they're doing a great job in this space? Uh, on social media, yeah, I. It's a bit left field. Doctor Ids is his name. Uh, he is. Uh, He's a, he's a medical doctor, which is, as we know, can sometimes, they can be some of the worst offenders when it comes to misinformation, but he's also got his, I think his master's in public health nutrition. Um, he does a phenomenal job of breaking down a study or breaking down a claim and, um, you know, presenting the, the, 
I guess, reasons why it's incorrect. Um, I don't follow a ton of health professionals on purpose. Um, so if if you're listening to this and I don't follow yeah. you back, it's nothing personal. <laughs> um, partly because I found myself following lots of them and then you consume lots of content and that's a really good way to not make anything. So for my information, I will go to the direct source. I'll go to you know journal articles and or research reviews and things. Yeah. Um, and then I will consume a lot of like uh, either music or guitar related content or uh like lift you know gym gym content but for nutrition i intentionally don't uh the one other one i have to mention is lane norton bio lane uh he is he's got close to a million followers i think and he's probably one of the first evidence-based people in our space that's been combating that um otherwise in terms of really in-depth stuff uh, a guy called uh, Alan Flanagan, also known as the Nutrition Advocate, he uh, does some wonderful deep dives on specific studies and topics and things. And he's also um, re- uh, works with Danny Lennon, who's at Sigma Nutrition. They do that, the Sigma Nutrition podcast, which is speaks to a lot of researchers. And and um, if you, that's probably one of the best. Uh, car professional developments <laughs> you yeah. can do is listen to their podcast. So I would say those those are the main probably four. Mm. Um, Danny and Alan are more practitioner focused, um, and then I think uh, Lane Norton and Doctor Ids are a good example of how to convert science and communicate it to the masses. Yeah, and just uh, finally, John, I um, thinking about the practice that you've built over the past couple of years. Um, Again, any got dietitians who are just embarking on developing a private practice, any yeah. uh, lessons <laughs> that you've learned of do's or don'ts? <laughs> um, system, systems, 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 systems. Uh, if you do something more than twice, you have to systematize it or you'll just, you'll be buried under doing the same task over and over again. Um, and because then once you can systematize it, I don't know if that's a word, uh, then you can outsource it, right? Um, and you can teach someone else how to do it. And so I don't do my, uh, I don't do my billing or I don't do my, you know, um, accounts at the end of each day. You know, I don't send my appointment reminder emails. I don't, you know, all of those sorts of things you want to try and um, you have to do them at the beginning to learn how to do them and to develop that system. But then the second you can shoot them off to someone else, then that gives gives me an hour back that I can work on social media or engaging with other referrers or mentoring, you know, my current staff or, you know, reading a journal article. So, but you can't get that time back unless you first formalize the amount of checklists and task sheets and video tutorials on how to do X, Y, Z I've done over the years. But I, I, I was even, I started doing that before I even had anyone um, employed. And so I would, from the very beginning, it feels like a big investment of time at the beginning because it is, but you know, it's, it, it pays back tenfold. Yeah. That's a good point. I was, I was actually going to ask before about the admin side of having a practice because clearly that's enormous. <laughs> and even just, you know, yeah. if you have uh, clients coming in from referring um, health professionals, then you have to communicate back to them and and all those sorts of things. Yeah. And just one other question I had quickly. If you um, are providing a client with information, mm. do you develop that yourself or do you pull it from other sources? Or 
Uh, it's predominantly developed either myself or my team. We'll put it, yep. we'll put it together. Um, and the way that I've gone about building our resource bank and our meal plans and things is typically th- that same strategy of when a client asks for something, going, "Oh, yep, yeah, I've got that. I'll get that to you. I'll get that to you tonight." <laughs> or I will have by going, the time you've left. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. And and but again, coming back to that templating and systems and you know uh, idea of um, if I'm if I have a client that needs supermarket meals and it takes me two hours to put that resource together. Why would I not template that? You know, of course, I need to adjust it and tweak it to each person's, you know, requirements, their dietary mm. pre- preferences and things. But um, you can absolutely, you know, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking to my own insecurities when I started, but I feel like initially that templating idea feels like you're not um, giving people that individual and that unique care. Whereas if you think there's literally not a, a business in the world that doesn't start with frameworks, you know, yes. Um, so I think, and I think you give a better product to your your clients eventually because this resource has been given and fine tuned yeah, through hundreds tested. of clients. You know exactly. And so, like I said, it's it doesn't look the same for every single client, but the foundation is there, and the foundation is much more effective than if I was generating a unique resource for every yeah. single client. Like that would wouldn't help anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, Jono, it was really lovely to talk to you today um, and it was a pleasure to meet you. you and thank you very much for sharing your um, glimpses of insights into both the practice <laughs> and, and social media. Uh, I'm sure all dietitians who are developing their skills and their practices and even those who are already in it um, will will get a little bit out of that. So I really enjoyed talking to you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. To get all of the links and resources we discussed in this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review and a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. Tell us what you thought of this episode, what you learnt, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We value hearing from you and we really appreciate your feedback. So please, please hit that review button.